This is actually one of those things that was incredibly helpful to me and comforting to my soul. The question is, how is a person saved in the Old Testament? You're listening to 1A, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church. If you're looking for NBR's podcast on First Amendment issues, we're not them. But before you turn us off, why don't you stick around and give us a listen? We're not that long, and you may find that theological interpretation and constitutional interpretation have more in common than you think. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Press. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. If this is your first time giving a listen, we want to welcome you. We appreciate you taking the time to check us out. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can visit our webpage, which is firstprezcolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprezcolumbia.org forward slash 1A. To find out how to contact us or how to subscribe, listen to the end of the show. If you do find this ministry useful, then subscribe using the application of your choice, and every Monday a new episode will be waiting for you. Also, while you're there, leave us some comments. As we increase the number of reviews and comments, it becomes easier for others to find our podcast. In this episode, we conclude our conversation about the Westminster Confession of Faith's chapter on God's covenant with man. We discuss whether we should be using the term Old Covenant instead of Old Testament. We have a quick overview of dispensationalism, the comfort of covenant theology, and we wrap up with the next installment of Orthodox or Not. Thanks for being with us. Now, let's get to our show. Now, the next section, uh, section five, says this covenant of grace is frequently set forth in Scripture by the name of a testament in reference to the death of Jesus Christ, the testator, and to the everlasting inheritance with all things belonging to it therein bequeathed. Why this? Sounds like something in the small print. It does. Yeah, exactly. It seems like a footnote. (laughs) Um, what what are they getting at? Why, why this? Well, first of here? all, in the 1640s, um, what they're referring to is that the 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 translation, the Latin translation of the uh, of the um, the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate, um, translated covenant by the word testament. Mm. So in their Bibles at least a Bible that they were very familiar with, the Latin translation of of the Bible, um, this word testament occurred frequently. In our English Bibles, it doesn't occur at all, except possibly in Hebrews 9. Mm. And the ESV uh, adopts testament um, in Hebrews 9, though the New American Standard Version even in Hebrews 9, uses the word covenant. And you say, what's the difference? Well, the difference is that a covenant is in operation and the terms of the covenant are in operation before you die. But a testament, the the terms of that will, that Mm. last will and testament, um, do not come into operation until the person dies. Mm. Now, the, the argument gets very technical, and there were situations apparently in the ancient Near East where the terms of a last will and testament could come into operation before you died, mm. 
Uh, so that that and that may be what Hebrews nine is alluding to, okay. uh, and it all gets very technical. But but um, it, it sounds odd to us that that it is frequently set forth as a testament when in our English Bible mm, there's one verse. Right. So when we when we look at Scripture in two larger sections, Old Testament, New Testament. Yes, and it is interesting that Bibles still retain that language of Old Testament and New Testament, where actually what they're referring to is Old Covenant and New Covenant. Right, well, that was going to be my right. question. Could could we as easily refer to it as the Old Covenant? The book of Yeah, when Isaiah. I was in seminary, you know, in 1346... Um, <laughs> This was a a, a hot debate. Um, I I remember my Old Testament professor uh, going out on a limb and getting all excited about the fact that we should actually encourage Bible publishers to refer to the Bible as Old Old Covenant and New Covenant instead of Old Testament and New Testament. Even in the ESV, where covenant is the word that's used for diatheke in, in Greek or berith in in Hebrew, um, in the in the in the page between Malachi and and Matthew, yeah. the, there's the New Testament, right? Um, which is somewhat inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I wouldn't foresee that change. It just seems like it's one of those things that we're so used to culturally as Christians right. that it's not gonna it's not gonna change anytime soon. So there's another way of thinking. We've talked about covenant and kind of covenant theology here, there's another way of thinking about the history of salvation that a large chunk of fellow believers would subscribe to, especially here in America. I really don't know what it's like in Europe, um, but at least here in America, that is dispensationalism. Um, could you could you highlight <clears throat> what that is and kind of contrast it with what we're talking about here? Well, of course, dispensationalism starts in Britain. J.N. Darby, of course, was, was British and part of the Plymouth Brethren movement. So that, that, that theological idea has British origins and... Those Brits. Yeah. I mean, come on. But it's the question, it's, I mean, let's simplify it. Um, the question is, how is a person saved in the Old Testament? Mm. And, I'm often asked that question, even in, um, I've been asked it here at First Presbyterian Church, you know, by people who should know better, mm. uh, because of the teaching that they've had, and that, and that's a lesson in itself, that you can never assume mm. totally where people are theologically, right. even though they've been told it many times. Yeah. Um, and, and the answer to the question, how is a person saved in the Old Testament, is... In exactly the same way as they're saved in the New Testament, except one was in shadow and promise and anticipation, and the other is in reality and, and fulfillment. Mm. Um, now, the dispensational answer, of course, is that, that in certain epochs of the Old Testament, um, they were actually saved by works. Right. Uh, and, and not by grace. Yeah. Um, it all gets a little complicated because they see grace in Abraham and then they see works in Moses, Moses and so on. Right. 
and, and some dispensational groups see a radical turning away from the way of grace uh, in the Mosaic um, era. Yeah. And um, But the Westminster Confession, um, Reformed theology is distinctive in the sense that there aren't two covenants of grace operating under the old covenant and the new covenant, but one, but operating differently in those dispensations, in those administrations. Okay. So if you're a believer living in the Old Testament, you, you would, you would sacrifice, sacrifice an animal and, and blood would be shed and so on. And you'd go through all this ritual involving priests and, and vestments and garments mm. and, and all kinds of symbolic things, but all of them anticipating, at least to the faithful, yeah. anticipating the coming of Christ. Mm. That, that the very repetition of them would signal there's no efficacy here. Mm. And the one in whom efficacy would materialize was yet to come. Do the divines here, are they in conversation with dispensationalists when they come up with this chapter? Is, is, Is dispensationalism out there, or has that not yet? No. Okay. Dispensationalism is a 19th, mid-late 19th century phenomenon. In the 17th century, you would have had pre-mills and post-mills. Okay. And among the pre-mills, there was an orthodox sort of pre-mill, which which had a view about when Jesus would come. Um, But there was also a branch of pre-mills that answered the question... Old covenant was a covenant of works. Yeah. New covenant is a covenant of grace. Mm. So we have to be clear that the covenant of works operates in the garden, and and the covenant of grace operates from Genesis three fifteen onwards. Mm. You know, covenant of grace doesn't begin in Matthew one one. Right, right. You know, I think uh, when I first became reformed, this is actually one of those things that was incredibly helpful to me and comforting to my soul. Um, when I bought my first Bible, it's right over there on my shelf. It is a Schofield study Bible. And the Schofield study Bible is famous for what? Dispensationalism, right? Like that's, that is, that's the thing it's, it's famous for. I didn't know any better at the time. It was a study Bible that seemed to be somewhat competent and on sale at the local Christian bookstore, right? And so I picked it up and I began to read it. But when I came to the Westminster, and the Westminster has this um, continuity in God's plan of salvation, for me that was incredibly comforting. Rather than this idea that God had separate plans for separate people at separate times, and, and though I understand that sometimes we have to use kind of anthropomorphic language for God, um, it did make him seem somewhat, and I don't mean to sound heretical or, or irreverent here, it, it did make him sound fickle at times, that he would, he would have these different 
ways of saving people and it might work and it might not work. And then there's this Israel that's this, this better save people. And don't you wish you were a part of Israel? And right now, I guess we've got the church era, you know, and instead you've got this wonderful continuation of the same plan from all of eternity because He's omniscient and he knows all things and he's all powerful. And so he can bring whatever he wants to pass. It was so much more consistent with the God that deserved worship, that, that, uh, evoked worship out of me and was incredibly comforting to my soul versus dispensationalism. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, n- I never dabbled in it at all. Um, so I, all all I know about dispensationalism is what I've learned about it. Right. Um, we actually had a course at seminary uh, on dispensationalism. It was a two-hour course uh, in the old days. Hmm. Uh, but probably the most dominant influence on American Christianity in the 20th century. Yes. Yes. Okay, so uh, let's wrap it up with our orthodox or not statement. I think we've probably already answered it, but but just to make sure and be clear. So here's here's the statement to evaluate. Orthodox or not. Old Testament people were saved by works and sacrifice. This is a tricky question. <laughs> because in a sense, right, I'm going to shock you now and say, yes, that's true. What? That's orthodox. What? <laughs> but whose works? And whose sacrifice? Mm. Right. In in the sense, in the sense that the Old Testament anticipated the coming of Jesus. It is His works that save us. God, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, made under the law, mm. in order to redeem those who are under the law. So it's by His obedience to the law, His good works, yeah. that save us, and His sacrifice. That saves us. So, no, it's not orthodox, but but in 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 the sense that they anticipated right the obedience of Jesus. Right. Um, there's a sense in which the entire Old Testament, from one point of view, from one point of view, is a lesson in in demonstrating how we are unable to save ourselves, mm. and how all the sacrifice, all the Sacrifices, all the blood on Jewish altars slain, as mm. one of the hymns puts it, um, cannot ever atone for my sin. You've been listening to 1A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all our episodes, which you can find on our webpage at firstpreskolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstpresscolumbia.org forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcasting applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or issues you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can reach us at our email address, which is 1A at firstpresscolumbia.org. That's 1A at firstpresscolumbia.org or via our Twitter account, which is at 1A Podcast. That's at 1A Podcast. Or by phone, 
803-281-1795. For Dr. Thomas, I'm Josh Squires. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.